Our scripture reading this morning is found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, and it will be on the screen before you. But if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there and follow along. And as you're turning there, it's going to give me time to uh, relay to you what uh, Carl and Cody told me to do, that we've got a whole new set of missionary books for you. Enough said. Just start reading. (laughs) That's the main thing. Last week we dealt with Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, in a rather kind of thematic way, looking at those whom Paul had talked about in various degrees of commitment to God and to Jesus as they were involved in the Galatian church. Today we come to a passage that is much more dense in its meaning and substance but one that's going to challenge, I think, the very structure of how we understand what it means for us to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord this morning, Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Fundamental problem with the law, as Paul could see it, and remember when he's writing to the Galatians, he's writing as one who has become totally committed to Jesus. Coming out of his life under the law, he now sees all of what he had experienced as but a prerequisite to what he is now doing as a believer in Jesus. But to be a person under the law meant that you were bound to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There was no margin for error. No margin for error. The law certainly is not like speed limits on our major roadways in the United States. You know the signs that tell us how fast we might go? Well, to most of us, they suggest how fast we might go, you know. And we hold that suggestion fairly well until the red lights are blinking behind us in the rearview mirror and uh, we pull our car off to the side. I don't imagine it'll do us much good to tell the officer that uh, that was really only a suggestion. But boy, that's what it seems like sometimes, doesn't it? The law was not a suggestion. It is what separated the children of Israel, the children of God, 
from all the other peoples on the face of the earth. It was theirs to do, and by doing it, they became a part of the children of God. And so this whole idea of what it means to keep the law was ingrained within the children of God. And it had been for hundreds of years by the time Paul writes to the Galatians. So what we're going to do this morning, last week we looked rather thematically at those first nine verses of Galatians. Today we're going to kind of go line by line here. And you'll find it interesting, I hope, I've found it interesting, that in verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, Paul is going to make a statement, and then he's going to support it with a text from the Old Testament. Very interesting. What's he trying to do? He's wanting to make sure that the people understand that everything he is saying about new life in Christ is grounded in the revelation of God within the Old Testament. Fascinating approach to the teaching of this letter. But he begins here in verse 10, and I would want us to think about verse 10 as the law and the curse. He says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, Paul is relating this sense of the curse to an unfulfilled part of the law. That's fairly harsh language. But if you were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and you were to read about the blessings and the curses that would come upon Israel if they did maintain the law, or if they failed to maintain the law, you'd begin to understand what Paul was trying to say when he used this rather harsh term, a curse. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, I remember being a primary student in that Sunday school back in New Lothrop, Michigan. Our little Sunday school room was downstairs and to the right in that little old musty basement, you know, that uh, seeping water for many years creates in a building like that. And in that Sunday school room, there was a chart on the wall with the names of those of us who were regular attenders and some names at the bottom for kids yet to come to be regular attenders. But there were various activities for us to do, to perform. If we brought our Bible, (laughs) we got a star. If we brought an offering... We got a star on the chart. If we were fairly good in Sunday school, we got a star. I always thought that was the subjective one that bothered me a little bit, because I think I came up a little short there. And if we brought somebody with us, a friend to Sunday school, boy, we got a star, and that one was always highlighted. And we could kind of see 
the worth and value of our participation in that Sunday school class by seeing how we looked on the chart. I'm glad my mother didn't have one of those at home in my bedroom. I I know some kids do, and if you've done it to your kids, that's okay. But I'm just glad my mother didn't do that to me. It had been miserable. But some of us have the idea that that's how we live in relationship to God. You know, we haven't killed anybody. We do our best to not take God's name in vain or to have idols of worship. We try to keep our worship to one God, you know. Not to bear false witness or steal or commit adultery or covet. But you see, it's not merely in what we don't do that makes the difference. Somehow we have to understand, we do not become followers of Jesus Christ, and we do not become real disciples by default, by what we don't do. That happens by this rich engagement that Paul has been trying to talk to the Galatians about of having this absolute faith in what God has done for all of us through Jesus Christ. And it is our trust and our faith in Him that makes the difference. For you see, to rely upon the works of the law means that I'm going to rely upon what I can do by myself to please God, and somehow I think that's all I need to do. But look what Paul says. We've got the law and its curse in verse 10, but look at a second thing that we find in verse 11 with the law does not justify. When Paul says, now it is evident no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I must be fair with you that there is a lot of writing going on today in very scholarly circles about what Habakkuk meant back there in chapter 2, verse 4. And what Paul means when he quotes this at three different times in the New Testament, when he uses the word faith. There are some who want to say, well, what Paul really means is that the people need to be faithful. Well, yeah, I think he means that. But I think he also means that it is our task to be faithful as men and women of faith. Because we can be faithful and get stars on our chart and have nothing make a difference inside. And so there is this unique coming together of faith and faithfulness that determines who we are as believers in the world. We are God's people by faith. Now, back in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, I'm going to read that for you. Paul had said something similar to what he says in 
verse 11 here. In, in 3.20, Paul says these things. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We do not please God merely by our works. Now, now I have to stop right there and say, you know what? Let, let's, let's all be big people now. We have the ability to hear in stereo, you know, the bass and the treble. And put them together well. So when Paul says, we are not justified by the law, he doesn't mean that we have the privilege to becoming lawless. That to be justified, to be made righteous by faith, is to cast ourselves totally upon Jesus Christ as the one who gives to us access to salvation in the midst of our world. Not in my petty little doing. Not that I should attempt to save myself. Can't do it, friends. No way. That's why the issue is by faith. And so as Paul moves along... Not only shall the righteous live by faith, he tells us that the problem is that the law is not of faith. Do you see that in verse 12? Look what he says. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So what the apostle is trying to help us to see is there is a great distinction between law and faith. Law says there's no margin for error. Faith says it's not about my doing. It's about what Christ has done. For a number of years, my father worked in the automotive industry. Uh, as a laborer in the shops in Flint, Michigan, worked for Buick for a while. And he ran a big old machine that I've never seen, and I couldn't tell you what it looks like, but it was called a center grinder. And parts would come to him, and he would have to grind those parts down to, I think they had a tolerance of somewhat of a thousandth of an inch or something, but it was pretty, pretty close work. With that old center grinder and those little flecks of metal that were all over, they'd get into the pores of his hands. And I can remember him being embarrassed because he couldn't wash all of that stuff out. It always looked like he had dirty hands, and he was bothered by that. But he was trying to meet the requirements for the specification of those parts that he was working with on that old center grinder at Buick down there on St. John Street in Flint, Michigan. And he knew that if many of those parts failed to meet the level of tolerance, they'd replace him. He had to do it well. Had to do it well. And I think some of us 
in the kingdom of God are caught in that kind of entrapment about how we please God. Now, you've already heard what I've said. It's not about the fact that I place my trust in Jesus Christ and and somehow, for lack of a better term, I'll just say I can go live like the devil. But gaining redemption and gaining God's favor is not about what I can do. It's about that absolute trust in Jesus Christ. It's that which makes us new within the world. So when we think of the law, when we think of its role and its place, I'm convinced that in the Old Testament it's fairly clear what God was doing. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, you will see that God says to Israel, I didn't call you because you were the biggest of all people or the best, the mightiest, the greatest. God says to Israel, you were least of all. And I placed my favor on your ancestors and chose you to be my people. So the election had already been done for Israel. Now the law was given, and through the law, they were to build community and to live as the people of God within community. And if you're going to have close community, you're going to need trust. And there's no way that I can trust the community in which I live if I'm always having to look over my shoulder thinking that somebody might be wanting to attack me or kill me. Or if I think somebody's wanting to steal my property or my wife or somebody's bearing false witness against me or on and on. And so the laws came, the Ten Commandments came, not so that we could please God, but so that we could build a community of life together in which we could worship this God who had chosen Israel to be his treasured possession out of all the peoples on earth, although all belonged to him. The law wasn't the means by which justification was to come. That was an act of God. But the law was there so that we might show what it really meant for us to be a part of God's people in the world, to be designated as his people in the world. So, we see the law and its curse and that the law does not justify and that the law is not of faith. But the real heart of this text is verse 13. We could spend a long time here. Where it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So we have Paul's statement and we have the support. The statement is that Christ redeemed us 
from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, there's that harsh language again that he used in verse 10. Those who don't do the law will be cursed. Well, what about that curse? We don't have to worry about it as men and women of faith. Because Christ has taken that on himself. As he came to this earth, as he gave himself and was crucified and was raised again. You see, this is not just about, well, wasn't that great of Jesus to do on behalf of us all? No. It was in that moment that all of history changed. As Jesus became the access to every man, woman, boy, and girl, the access of everyone to God himself. And all we have to do is to trust him. Now think about your lives. I'll think about mine. Most of us haven't been, you know, involved in heinous crimes against humanity. But there's not a one of us that if we thought for a while couldn't think back and realize that there was some guilt in our past, save for the grace of Jesus Christ, could have led us further and further and further away from God. And it is in that situation where we had no power at all to find relief from that guilt. That the grace of God through Jesus Christ comes and sets us free from all of the stuff that would hinder our lives before God. Christ came to redeem those under the law, to set us free from the curse. And he had said this really in verse 4 of chapter 1. Let me read it to you. I'll begin with verse 3 so we can move into it properly. But listen to what the text says even there. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. You see, the work of Christ is the work of redemption. The work of setting us free. And I'm going to say, because there's a lot of stuff being written and proclaimed today that bothers me greatly about Jesus being our grand example, and all we have to do is to follow him. No, no, no. It's not about Jesus just being our example. It's about Jesus being our Redeemer, who sets us free from those things we are powerless from which to free ourselves. We can't do it. He has done it. 
And how has he done it? He's done it by becoming a curse for us. And he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and he pulls out a statement that is so remarkably significant that we must see it. He says, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, there's not a Bible scholar that I know of, or a preacher for that fact, who would say that the tree in Deuteronomy 21 is the same as the cross in the Roman Empire. But they served a very similar purpose. You go back and read that section in Deuteronomy and you'll see that the one who was to be hanged on the tree is the one who had created such a problem for society by committing a murder or a crime that was punishable by capital punishment. That such a one was to be hanged on the tree who would become a curse cut off. From the grace of God and from God's covenant people. And here is Jesus in Paul's mind. Becoming that one who took the curse for all of humanity. That we might be free. What a picture. Of what God was wanting to do for each of us. Through Christ. Our task. Is to believe the story. To believe what God was doing. In this one Jesus. That we might be set free. Verse 14 follows. And it breaks the pattern. Because it's not a new statement. So we don't have Paul's statement and now a supporting Old Testament text. What we have are two very strong purpose clauses related to what he says in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit. Through faith. Now, if you had taken a little Greek, you would know that this use of the Hina clause, this double Hina clause here, is to create a deep sense of purpose. And we can't relate this from what Paul has said in verse 13. Christ redeemed us so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now you go back and read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and it tells us there that through Abraham's lineage, all the families, all the people, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Paul is saying that time has come. When Jesus gave himself to redeem us from the law. So the promise of Abraham that all the people might be blessed has come upon us. But there's something else. There's another purpose. 
He says, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, whatever you might think about the Holy Spirit of God in this world, there is one thing for certain. When our lives are filled with God's spirit, it is the recognition deep within us That we have become the children of God. The Spirit is in our life to guarantee new creation in who we are. That's the role of the Spirit. The Araban, the down payment, the guarantee, the earnest money. It's there. And the Spirit is teaching us what is to come. Not only in this life but in the life to come. And so as we look over this passage, Paul's trying to say, don't be trapped by thinking you with your good works can please God. No, God's already done the work. Can we trust that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we were able to find new life in him. That we became this sense of new creation through the divine purpose. Well, it is clear that in Paul's mind, God's people have been redefined by God himself around the Messiah. We are now Christ's people, the people of the Messiah, not of the law, because everything has changed. And when Jesus came and gave himself, Paul says in Galatians 6.15, that there is a new creation and we are part of that new creation. The old stuff that weighted us down and that kept us self-centered and self-confident and self-assured, that gave to us that myopic vision that we needed nothing beyond what we could do, has been taken away from us and replaced by the presence of Jesus in all that we do. And if, in the New Testament, to quote Thomas Erskine, Religion is grace. Our ethic is gratitude for what God has done for us. For you see, we're no longer threatened by that pettiness of what we've been, or what we need, or what we want. For you see, life is not merely about us. It's about our role in the body of Christ And how we live together as the people of God. We are God's new creation by faith. As Martin Luther said, by faith alone. That's what we are, aren't we?